What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Web3 Music Podcast. If you haven't listened before, my name is Jake Abel, and I started this podcast because I wanted to get involved and learn more about the intersection of blockchain technology and music. And the best way I found to do that is by talking with people who are really paving their own path in the fascinating niche that is Web3 Music. So each episode, I interview artists, creators, builders, entrepreneurs, and more about how they're leveraging technology to advance their music career or company. Before we get into today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Neon Ox. Neon Ox is an NFT ticketing company that I think has a really, really great use case for Web3-focused companies that are organizing IRL events. Ticket buyers on the platform use fiat with their debit or credit cards and purchase tickets connected to their phone number, but Web3 natives also have the option to connect their crypto wallet and receive their tickets as NFTs. For Web3 companies, this means that you can use your event tickets for things like token gating and airdrops, and you can track the wallet addresses of people who are actually showing up to your events. Besides that, Neonox has been in the ticketing game for over 20 years, and they provide personal account managers for each client. The platform also has an integrated secondary market to eliminate scams and streamline the process of buying and selling extra tickets. If you want to learn more about Neonox and how they can help improve your ticket selling experience, visit neonox.io and mention this podcast on the Get Started page. You can also reach out to the Web3 Music Podcast on social media, and we will help you schedule a demo of the platform. And with that, let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm interviewing TK. TK is an independent musician based in LA who's been super active in Web3 over the last couple of years. His most recent music NFT project, Eternal Garden, sold out of 700 editions between seven songs. He also started Campfire, one of the largest online communities of music creatives. TK has been heavily involved with music his entire life and had a ton of great insight on so many different topics. We talked about his extensive musical background, how he started Campfire and where it's going, the Eternal Garden and his other music NFT releases, AI processes and creative tools, advice to other artists, and much more. I hope this episode teaches you something new today. Here is TK. So you're in LA, right? Yeah, I'm in Hollywood. Yeah, cool. How long you been out there? Oh, it'll be eight years at the end of this month. Cool. What did music bring you out there? Yeah, so I first came out here in 2014. I did a competition with Guitar Center. It was called um, Guitar Center Singer Songwriter 3. And out of like 30,000 songwriters, I made it to the top 10. And so um, they flew me out here and that was like my first LA experience just kind of getting to see everything and like meet celebrities and perform and all that. So after that, I was like, man, I definitely gotta, I gotta come back out here. So the next year I came out like writing and producing for Jaden Smith and Willow. And then um, started working with Diane Warren, which led to like, you know, working with a bunch of A-list artists um, as well. So that was what brought me out initially. And then pretty much after that, I just, uh, uh, just stayed <clears throat> locked in on my own music. Yeah, that's cool. Where Where are you from? I'm from DC. So like, oh I'm really? From- I think you probably mentioned that when we met. But I live in DC and have, and went to Maryland. So I've been around DC for a while, but actually just moved to the city in February of last year. Uh, yeah. So I'm from. So I'm actually from PG County. Uh huh. Yeah. So Maryland. I like. I used to be up there all the time. Like yeah, I, I cool. Came up. Uh, like I was hanging out with Logic and like that crew around that time. So um, yeah, man, I've uh, definitely super familiar with that area. That's where I grew up in. Yeah, that's cool. 
basically learned so much of what I, or pretty much everything that I know in music at this point. But my family's Nigerian and I, um, I lived in the UK when I was like real young until I was like 10 years old. So um, a little diverse background for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Did you know Logic like from growing up or through music or? Uh, yeah, so we were in the same like scene. Like, so there's this like, there was this really powerful, like, what's even the word? I don't know, there's this music scene um, in the DC area, like DC hip hop area, sorry. DC hip hop scene where like just a bunch of different artists were kind of coming through there and we would all perform at like the same events and we would put on like the same shows and it really became like a family slash like community. And so I met Logic at a beat battle I was in a beat battle as a producer and he was the feature performer. This is like, this was his first show ever. Um, and Damn. I remember being like, yo, you're dope. Like what's good. And then so yo, let's link up. And then we, we just like link up all the time. Um, this is when he was doing like the early young Sinatra tapes. Um, and then, um, yeah, I still got like videos of us back in like, 2010, 2011, like early, you know what I mean? um so that's how we came up and then i I got like really close with his dad kind of randomly so it's crazy to see how far everybody's come like since then yeah that's wild um what what venues were some of those shows at maybe i know some of them well i mean it depends on on what time so like the early early days would be like everlasting life cafe and like U Street Music Hall and stuff like that. But then kind of the bigger shows, like when we all started to get more popular, it would be like Black Cat, uh, Fillmore, Silver Spring, um, 930 Club, you know, Baltimore Soundstage. Uh-huh. Yep. I've been to most of those. Yeah. The bigger cool. you know, started to get to the bigger stuff. But it started at like these really like live live nightclub was like one of like the popular ones, Bohemian Caverns. Like people like people are not hip <laughs> to these spots, but like it, you know, if you're from DC and like you really like kind of came up in that, you know, 2009 to 2013 like hip hop scene, like it was it was a legendary time. So, yeah, man. Yeah, that's cool. Was the Rhizome a thing back then? Have you heard of that that place? No. It's it like uh, the, I w- I just went there for the first time on like Wednesday. It's a uh, like nonprofit arts and music venue house in Tacoma Park. And it's like literally it's it looks like an abandoned frat house that's like completely gutted and they just throw shows in there and like sometimes have art galleries on the second floor. It's pretty cool. There were like a few bands that played um and my friends like knew one of the kids playing. So we went on Wednesday and it was I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. It was literally just like this gutted house that they set up with some speakers in. Um, really fire. So, Have you been to yeah, Blind it was Wino? cool. Where is that? Have you been to Blind Wino? No, I haven't heard of that. It reminds me of what you're talking about. It's like, okay, it's this it looks I guess it was like an like an abandoned church. And it's like they outside of it, they completely painted the whole outside with like graffiti paint, like it's all multicolored. But on the inside, it's like this crazy like performance venue. Like it's it's insane. If you look it up, you'd be like, what is this? Yeah. Kind of what black black rhino? Blind wino. 
So blind and then wino like a drinker, like W H I. Oh, 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 okay. Okay, I'll look into it. That sounds cool. Insane. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So I guess let's get into it a little bit more. So you were down at Art Basel with Campfire. Have you got like does Campfire go to all of those major like web three conferences and, and what are you sort of looking to get out of those? Cause that was when we met and, and that, that one studio event that, you know, you guys collaborated with flow was super, super cool. Um, so I'm just curious to hear like how all that came together and, and what your, you know, thoughts and goals are going into a week like that. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, campfire, what we're growing with campfire is the largest online community of music creatives um, that all have the shared, goal of improving conditions for musicians in the music industry worldwide by utilizing emerging technology. And so, um, you know, within Web3, we're all connecting over the internet all day, every day. But I think it was important that when we're having these IRL events where a lot of us are flying out um, to, you know, to, to be a part of these events, it was good to have a space and time where we're able to meet up with one another, commune, um, create together as well, and really, you know, forge more meaningful relationships. You know, a lot of the events that happen, it's, it's more of like an audience vibe. So you're going to, you know, an event where you're watching performances or like looking at art galleries or sitting down at panels. And then there's a little bit of time where you can, you know, kind of talk and mingle with other people but we don't really have those um, events where, or those activations, I should say, where we really, you have that dedicated time to really, you know, forge those bonds with the people that you've been building with over the internet for so long. And so for us, we, we had two kind of goals. We wanted to, one, have a campfire house where it's like a hacker house in a sense, you know, for musicians where they can come through, work, talk, vibe whatever it is that they need to to do or accomplish like throughout their stay of the of the irl events and then um our studio session would be the other thing where we're all actually getting in the studio and working together our ultimate goal is to combine those two things so when we go to these uh you know these places like probably south by southwest would be our next one um getting a house in which there's studios already built in right so it's kind of an all day, every day, creative flow. It's like an actual, like a real hacker house. Um, we were thinking of calling it the tracker house, but uh, you know, basically just keep having people come through and like, and cook up. And um, yeah, so that was kind of the goal for that. When it came to Art Basel specifically, we essentially just rented out House of Hits in Miami, which is a, a beautiful state-of-the-art studio um, with state-of-the-art equipment. It's just like an incredible space to be in. And we had like around 60 artists come through and collaborate on music. We had like four different rooms there for 12 hours of one day. So we had a lot of studio time um, and a lot of talent to come through and make incredible music. But we brought on Float just to kind of supplement and help curate kind of the the after product of the studio sessions and uh you know just to provide their vibes as well but man it was an incredible experience lens was our biggest sponsor we also had sponsorship from sound um 
And, uh, you know, we had some of our Campfire community members raise money as well through their own, like, through their own um, personal initiatives. So it was great to be able to do that. It was definitely the first of its kind in Web3. And now we want to expand upon that as uh, more IRL activations happen worldwide. Yeah, for sure. I hope to, you know, make it to the next one because, um, yeah, that event in Miami was really cool. Uh, when, when did you start Campfire and like, was that idea of um, improving conditions and where did that idea come from, improving conditions for music artists worldwide? Like, um, and then how did you tie Web3 into that? Because like that sort of mission isn't necessarily related to Web3. So I'm curious, like how that all how that all began. So, yeah, I'll answer it in a, in a different order. So like the the idea for improving conditions for musicians, I think is a never ending one. And it's like that for really every aspect of humanity, right? Like we're always trying to find ways to improve, to improve, um, you know, the things that we're working on, the things that we're going through that we're experiencing in the, the worlds and industries that we're building. Uh, in the music industry, historically, musicians, artists, songwriters, producers have gotten the short, short end of the stick and are usually the least paid and the last people to be paid. Um, we're also you know, for us to be the source of the create the creation and the source of the greatness, we're also looked at as like a very uh, small part of the overall ecosystem when it comes to, you know, gen like gaining fans, generating revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's by design because if musicians really begin to learn their value and value themselves and understand that they're the source of the greatness, then um those contracts those splits uh everything that goes into what happens with the money after it's made will look a lot different and so um i've always had that back of mind like okay how do we continue to improve conditions for musicians right and we've seen artists that have tried to do the independent artist route not signed to a label things of that nature and it's been you know there have been some good examples, but it's been hard to really see some very, very successful examples, because typically if you're not signed to a label, you're not getting that level of marketing push or that machine push behind you to where people can actually see that you're making money and being successful. So that's a big part of um, why Web3 is so great and why Web3 is so important and why Campfire really has its roots and its foundation set in Web3, because that emerging technology is like the um, it's the vehicle through which we're going to be able to invoke the most change for artists because we're already seeing it in Web3 firsthand. Um, Campfire started before I got into Web3, though, started during the pandemic um, on Clubhouse. It was a Clubhouse club, uh, one of the first ones on there, actually. And I started because I was um, just in these rooms with all of these quote unquote music industry executives and ARs and you know they'd be like yo come in here and play your music and artists you know my music's good so I like I never got any bad feedback but like a lot of artists would come in there that all were of different levels different walks of life just trying to get people to like hear their music and the way a lot of these industry executives would be talking to these artists or like disrespecting them or embarrassing them in front of a room of people I didn't like that at all and so I took it upon myself to start hosting my own rooms where artists could come in 
and just play their music or just talk and vibe and just like, you know, build community with really nothing, you know, not trying to gain anything out of the situation. And so, you know, I was, I would also give my constructive criticism too or feedback to people, but the way that I went about it was always, you know, being empathetic, being thoughtful of their uh, feelings and the fact that artists are very sensitive about their art. And so that cultivated a very like, I think loving space and loving community and people just kept coming back. And so, you know, I sat down with a few of my friends in the community, like, okay, how do we really, um, you know, how do we make this more of a thing? And we were like, yo, we should like keep hosting these rooms, but then also start doing workshops where we can teach about songwriting, um, start hosting remote writing sessions with artists so that, you know, we can encourage collaboration between artists that might not ever have the chance to collaborate. And so that's where it began. It grew to, to about 6,000 members on Clubhouse. And then um, we all kind of abandoned it because the world started opening up again and everyone was like, okay, okay I'm going outside. I'm not going to be on Clubhouse all day. And so Campfire was kind of dormant for a while. And then when I got into Web3 and started using Twitter a lot more, I want to say around May of 2022, I was like, yo, I started to notice that there were so many um, artist communities, but they were all kind of in service of a certain platform or product. So as opposed to them like being real, like musician communities, they were more more like focus groups. And I felt like we needed a space that was by artists and for artists. And so I just put out a tweet. I was like, hey, who would want to be in a group for songwriters? And that tweet got so much engagement, like I actually put out two tweets because the first tweet was like, you know, who wants to be a part of a group of songwriters? And then the second one was like basically saying, are you guys serious? You know, and I got like thousands of impressions, you know, across those two tweets. And so me and my homie Pat Jr. Uh, started like gathering all the information from all these artists. And, you know, we started adding them to a Twitter chat, which filled up like pretty much immediately. And then we started our Discord which um, you know grew really well. And then now we have our Telegram, which is kind of our most active space. And so, um, yeah, I would say that that's kind of the, those are the, the beginnings of Campfire. I forgot what the third part of the question was, but um, yeah, that's I think it was, I um, think it was, uh, how did you tie in Web3? But that's sort of, you know, that makes sense. That's an, that's an interesting story. That's cool you started it. I think before your whole web three journey and then, you know, makes sense once you got into it, that that's cool. You, you know, got campfire active again in that yep. way. That's crazy on clubhouse that those like A and R execs were just sort of disrespecting artists. Like what was the point of those rooms? And like, why do you think that they were just like provide feedback in that way? That wasn't actually that helpful. It's a lot of stuff. I mean, like ego first and foremost, um, it's like another layer to being a keyboard warrior, right? Like you're talking to people in a way that you probably probably wouldn't talk to them if they were right in front of you. Not to say that you wouldn't be strict or harsh with your criticism, but you know, you probably you would you wouldn't be going as hard on them as you as you would if they were in front of you. On top of the fact that Clubhouse was a new social media platform, and so everybody's scrambling to get the the most followers or you know, to assert themselves within the hierarchy. And so I think 
a lot of those executives that maybe had a hit at one point or worked with certain people or whatever, they're like, okay, well, this is my opportunity to establish myself and my brand on this new social media platform. And my approach is going to be, you know, let me be the hard ass music critic that, you know, because to a degree, like watching people get slaughtered is like, uh, entertaining i guess <laughs> so yeah some people definitely like watching you know, that like, you, those rooms would be packed because it would be like yo, it'd be hundreds or like thousands of people and be like oh yo, this dude is like people are playing their music and he's just like roasting them and it's like interesting so when you develop like a, an audience in that way it can really boost up your ego and so i think it's a combination of different reasons why people were doing that on this on clubhouse but ultimately it really just boils down to cyberbullying and people trying to put other people down to make themselves feel better. So um, good luck to them, you know? Good yeah. Luck. Well, good. Well, good for you for starting something more positive. That's yeah. cool. Um, so what's on, what's on the 2023 agenda for campfire and do you have any like long-term goals for it or you sort of take it, you know, quarter by quarter or yeah. something like that? So 2023 goals first and foremost is to continue to establish ourselves um and our brand and what we stand for grow the community so you know we did the campfire sessions in art basil and we're going to be releasing an nft collection of the songs that we created so it'll be a compilation album essentially that will drop um on a music nft platform near you so that'll be the first thing um south by southwest is coming up and we plan to do more campfire activations at all the IRL events. And then uh, we're currently working on DAOfication. So having a sector of campfire that is a DAO so that artists can have governance um, within the community on what moves we should be making, um, where we can have the most impact in terms of improving conditions for artists and really everything else that comes, comes you know, with decision-making and so that's that like personal goal for me with campfire is to establish campfire as a place where artists can start to get equity in a lot of the top music platforms that we're helping build because artists are consistently um pulled upon for their ideas their input their feedback and it is amazing that a lot of these tools and technologies are being built to improve conditions for artists, but artists are just as integral to the uh, development process of these platforms as developers are, or founders, or investors, right? Um, because we're we're the core, we're the target audience and the target demographic, but also like you get your feedback from us, and so um, that's one thing that I'm really passionate about this year. And then I think another thing is figuring out how we can make more of an impact in web two because right now like we have a very heavy web three focus and that's great but what are the things that we can do that can help artists who haven't crossed over yet right or haven't bridged the gap between web two and web three and discovered those monetization tools so a few different things for sure you know years just starting and we're i would say we're like starting off not slow but you know we're pacing ourselves because uh, we have a, a big year ahead of us, but I'm excited for the future. 
Yeah, that's dope. Um, do you have any ideas so far in terms of how to help some Web2 artists? Um, yeah, I think education, first and foremost, like even though Web2 has proven that the priority is not artist monetization of their own music, there are still so many dollars that artists are leaving on the table because they are not handling their business correctly. That comes with, you know, it comes down to like being with a PRO, right? Or like having pub admin where they can go and collect these royalties for, you know, for you. For us in Web3, like those things are primitive because it's like we're on the blockchain, like we, you know, get paid immediately from our shit and we're not, no one has to go collect anything for us at all. But um, it still exists, right? And it's still the mainstream kind of uh, process for artists worldwide. And so things of that nature where artists can learn more information on how to collect, um, how to copyright their work, um, you know, splits, publishing, masters, late, understanding label deals, understanding independent deals, understanding you know, the best way to go about being an independent artist, how to market yourself, how to own your craft as an artist, all those things that like really don't have anything to do with Web 2, Web 3, Web 2.5. It's just about like artistry. I think those things are important as well. And um, yeah, I would say that for sure. And then like, you know, trying trying to, you know, get those artists to understand how to connect more deeply with their fans and um, own their information. So right now, artists in Web2 don't own, we don't own any of our information, right? And Spotify is not going to give that to us, which is fine. But there are things that we can do to get closer to our fans and to our core audience that can allow us to be a lot more impactful when we uh, communicate with them. And so um, there's so much, there's so much on the table. Uh, that would be my first thing is like education for sure. And then I think once we feel like we have a good flow of educating artists on what's possible, then we can all kind of band together and actually try to start changing the conditions of what is happening in web two. One thing, this is the last thing I'll say on, on this topic. One thing that I'm a big, big fan of, and this is my own personal <laughs> opinion, not to speak on behalf of Campfire or anybody else that's there, but I'm a big fan of a microtransactional future for content consumption. So what that means is as opposed to, um, you know, music listeners paying a certain paying a subscription per, per month to listen to all the music in the world. And that music is rev shared between artists based on streams. It's uh, more of a, a direct to consumer process to where fans are paying per stream. So like, let's say you, you know, top up a wallet or something and you only pay as a fan, you only pay for the music that you actually listen to. Um, and then that money goes to the artists that you're, whose music you're actually listening right. to. It goes directly to the artists. And, um, you know, the, the artist isn't waiting three months to get their money from a distributor, things of that nature. So, you know, and that works for video content too, but um, I'm a big fan of that future. And it, I personally think it's great for artists and for fans, because as a fan, like I, I did the calculation before, it's like, if you're paying $10 a month, for uh you know for streaming and 
let's say artists on average are paying are getting paid point zero zero three cents per stream right then that's like spotify is calculating that you as a consumer will listen to like three thousand songs um per month and the average listening for a user is around 1500 so even based on their own math you're paying for twice as much music as you'll really ever listen to right but artists are still not being paid nearly fairly <laughs> yeah something's fucked up there <laughs> so where's the money going right like and i'm not an accountant so if anyone listens to this and is like, <laughs> oh it's not right like sure i'm you know i'm open to being educated on the actual specific numbers and how things are, are split up in that sense but i one thing is for sure is that the math is not mathing <laughs> yeah so, right <laughs> we are able to completely simplify that if we um just simplify the structures of how music is paid for when it is consumed. Most music fans have expressed that they will pay more for music. Like we pay, we pay, we pay for everything that we consume, right? And music is probably, music is one of the most important things in like so many people's lives and so and, and right now probably one of the cheapest things that people pay to consume exactly and and the crazy part is like you can you there's people that will end up paying so much less for their music right than they pay uh for right now like there's people that might only pay five dollars a month but they're paying for exactly what they listen to an artist could be paid fairly um so anyway without going too deep into it uh no, that's a cool idea. Like, I think for fans and artists, it probably just ends up working out better. You, you like, as a fan, I think most music fans would prefer if like their streaming dollars, you know, the money they pay for their subscription was getting split amongst the artists they listen to, as opposed to like, you know, the millions of other artists on Spotify that they never listen to. Um, and then obviously, you know, if there was a streamlined way for artists to get paid for those streams directly in proportion to how many people are listening to their music i think both ways i think that works out better are, are there any projects that you know of that are trying to work on something like that i haven't heard of anything but I, I think the idea is really cool yeah so uh share by formless is one that i'm a big fan of and that i'm i'm going to be working with and releasing my music on so right now they they have like a um a paper stream model pretty much just like that like either you can pay person that you listen to or you can pay a certain amount to for unlimited access to music for a certain uh, period of time and every artist has the choice to to decide what that price looks like so um yeah share i think is going to be a big one in 2023 and um from a microtransactional standpoint i would definitely say them and then the 402 um doing some really cool things with uh you know transaction web3 transactions more so on the video and live streaming side of things as well so um but there's so many projects that like you know we could sit here all day like naming them but <laughs> right but the future is bright for sure yeah yeah that's cool so all right so let's get into your music now because i have a million questions on you know your nft projects and how you got into web3 and stuff so I guess let's start there, you know, backtrack to Campfire and your journey getting into Web3. How did how did that like how did your journey into Web3 start? Yeah. And, and, and I think with that, like what really what did you see that really, you know, clicked in your head like, oh, this is it. Like, this is what I need to be pursuing more. Oh, got you. So 
I have a really, 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 really extensive musical background. Without going deep into like my backstory, I've been making music since I was a kid. Um, I studied the fine arts and performing arts in music for over a decade, you know, since I was, I don't know, since elementary school all the way through high school, concert band, concert choir, jazz band, marching band, gospel choir, anything that I could do. Performing arts troops where we would sing and dance every song from the 1920s up until now, uh, you know, traveling the country, all those kinds of things, right? And then I, you know, started to get into writing and production um, in high school and was writing and producing for artists in school. I was in a band that I started at 15 and we went from playing nursing homes and churches to touring the country, playing uh, Live Nation, ticketed concerts, arenas, stadiums, like the whole nine. Um, so I've, I've had all of that experience, right? But then also um, growing into being a, a writer and producer locally in my area for like a lot of the top artists that were kind of bubbling and, and uh, you know, coming out of the area. So there's that. And then when I, when I moved to LA, really learning about the music industry as a music industry professional, um, writing and producing for major label artists constantly and consistently, and then going solo, you know, for my band and being on that independent artist journey where I'm trying to, you know, break the algorithms and, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what touring looks like and I'm turning down label deals and I'm trying to find management and all of that stuff, right? All the while, I'm, you know, I'm not really making any money from my own artistry. I was making money from writing and producing for artists, right? But as much as I love to do that, I know that's not my purpose or like my calling, right? That's just an extension of uh, the gifts that I've I, I've been given or I've worked to uh, to harness. And so I would say in 2020 was when I started to have like the most traction. I had just got back from tour with Teneriel and Ari Lennox. And um, I was planning on going on tour with Anderson Pack and the Free Nationals um, to open up. And pandemic happened, COVID shut everything down. Most people were like, yo, I'm gonna, you know, work on music all day, every day. Where I was like, I've been doing that my entire life. I'm gonna take a step back and just like, you know, chill, relax and, and uh, see what other things I can get into. And so I started investing in crypto and through, you know, I bought Do I bought Dogecoin at like half a penny. Um, so I started to make some money and so you're still up. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I cashed out, cashed out when, when we uh, when we were nearing that, that 75 cent mark. You know, what good I mean? shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, I started to make some money. I started to meet people within the crypto community and and. That led to me learning about NFTs. I hated NFTs at first because all I saw were JPEGs. And I was like, why are people buying pictures of, you know, whatever yeah. monkeys for this much? Seemingly uh, everyone's first impression, mine included. No, for sure. So I was like, well, what if, you know, what if we could make music NFTs? And I'm not knowing at the time that there were artists that were like quietly doing things, right? Because this is like, this is like late summer 2022. Um, no, 2021. Sorry, dang, it's crazy. <laughs> late right. summer 20, yeah, late 2021 at this point. Um, right, and, which was uh, sort of like that was like sort of the the core of like the first like PFP boom, right? 
yeah. like apes minted in like March or April or something. And then like, that was like the summer of all those massive PFP projects. And yeah, I got shot. into the, yeah, right. Top shot was going crazy. I got into the space that year in like November, the beginning of November, sort of towards the end of like, I mean, so it was sort of still towards like the meaty part of the middle of that. Like, you know, everyone's looking for the next PFP project and all those, like all those, all that shit was really going crazy. But, yeah, the music stuff at that time was really, really quiet. Still, mm -hmm. it was it was definitely quiet. So I'm like, okay, well, what if I did a music NFT collection, you know? And uh, I was introduced to a DAO called Mochi through a friend of mine named Gabe that I met at a flea market, and I told him I did crypto, and he was like, oh, I do crypto. Come to find out, he's like the crypto godfather. So um, he introduced me to this artist named Halik Mall. And, uh, you know, we became friends through being in the Dow together. And then I found out that Halik sold $235,000. Uh, well, he sold, five, I would say he sold four of his songs from an EP for $235,000. And when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. So that was the moment where I was like, okay, for sure. Right. So uh, at that point, I started diving deep into just the NFT community in general. I started my own platform called Afro Zero that highlights black and indigenous people of color within the Web3 space. Um, still building that out, you know, behind the scenes right now, but that was like my first founder project. And that was how I really started to get super acquainted with a lot of people within the space. And then um, as I started to find more people that had interest in music NFTs, that was around the time that sound, uh, was getting ready to launch and i joined the sound community and started to meet everybody over there had my first conversation with david and then i was just supporting that's all i did i was just supporting other artists other creatives and um educating my friends in web 2 on you know the powers of web 3 essentially and so um i had my first drop in march of 2022 which was called heaven on earth we did 25 editions at 0.1 eth sold out in like 10 seconds and yeah i made what 7500 in that amount of time so that was kind of like you know that's when i that was my cherry being popped i guess for music nfts <laughs> um yeah the rest was history that's awesome that seems like a pretty pretty uh I don't know, textbook in a good way, way to enter the space and, you know, build your own community and a bunch of other projects first and get in the space for a while and then, uh, you know, sell out on sound after after meeting a bunch of people. Um, so I saw you have one other sound drop after that first one. And then was Eternal Garden your third music NFT project or release? No. So Heaven on Earth was my first drop on march 1st i did a collaboration with my good friend alexander lewis called touchdown um which touchdown is as is as much one of my songs as any of my other songs right but at the time i was onboarding him to um to the platform and so it at that time sound didn't have like collaborations right so it only shows up on his profile but it doesn't show up on my profile so that was like kind of technically my second drop. And then I dropped Password a week later um, on April 17th. So I had those first three sound drops 
Then uh, at South by Southwest, I did the whole live minting thing. I don't know if you got to see that, but um, basically I minted a, a NFT right before I went on stage. To, I was DJing Zoratopia and um, as a closing DJ for the festival actually. And I minted an NFT to Zora right before I went on stage. I had the, the visual director put the artwork on the LED wall behind me with a QR code. I debuted the song live in front of the whole audience. And then I was like, yo, if you want to buy this NFT, like, you know, it's here right now. So I really did like kind of that sound XYZ model of like listening sessions. I kind of did it, but like live on stage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And somebody um, minted the NFT for one ETH before I even got off stage. And I only played like half of the song. So uh, that was crazy. I made a TikTok of that, put that on Twitter, and then that went viral. And I got a lot of notoriety from that for a while. And it opened up a lot of conversations around um, just music NFTs and why people would do this and that whole thing. So that was like, that actually happened before. It's crazy. That was a crazy run. Cause like Heaven on Earth happened. Then I did Fantasy, which was the South by Southwest drop, then Touchdown, then Password. And um, I didn't release much until I did a Polygon drop of Too Much on June 20th. And I did that on the 402 uh, in the middle of NFT New York. And then in August, I released my first one of one on catalog of a song called We Can't Get Enough. And um, Lottie Day, who is my manager now, actually collected that one for one ETH. And um, yeah, too much, too much, the too much drop sold out like in a, like three hours. And I did. 25 editions at 0.2 ETH each. So that came out to like 5K or something. But then, yeah, we can't get enough on catalog. And then, yeah, Eternal Garden was my next drop after that. So, I mean, if you count all of those together, it's like uh, once, wow, one, two, three, four, five, six drops, I think. Yeah. I think it's six drops. Yeah. Heaven, uh -huh. on, Heaven on Earth, Touchdown, Password fantasy yeah so so a pretty spread out and solid schedule yeah. of nft releases leading up to eternal garden um yes. with eternal garden where like when and where did the idea for such a big project come from and maybe you know for people who haven't heard of it give a brief overview of what that project and release is all about yeah so um eternal garden all ties back to my original my genesis nft heaven on earth so one thing that I thought was really cool um, with the releases that I've done on sound was that I kind of did like a two singles and an album kind of approach. So if you look at the artwork of Heaven on Earth, I'm like standing in the middle of this kind of magical garden and me and my graphic designer created a like a metaverse space, like a metaverse space of the entire world. And we were like, about to put out these dioramas and all this, and we needed to name the world. And so the name I came up with was Eternal Garden. And then we created these other like diorama NFTs that were like, um, it was like a winter wonderland version of it. And then there was like a de desert oasis, like shit looks really, really dope. Um, so after that, I was like trying to, you know, throughout the year, I was still trying to figure out like, okay, how do we go into this next season, releasing music, in web two um consistently with releases in web three 
without like expending too much energy on both sides. And so we decided like, okay, well, we can release super consistently on Spotify, right? But then we can package all these songs up into one project and release that in Web3. And so there had been there had been a couple examples of like what an NFT album would look like. And so I was like, okay, well, at least I know it's a thing. So I probably go in that direction. And so um, I decided basically to frame all of the music that I was putting on this project as like a sequel, sorry, a prequel to Heaven on Earth and how Heaven on Earth as like a world or the Eternal Garden even came to being formed in the first place. And so that's where kind of the the environment of the story took place. And then I took like the actual like cinematics and the storytelling from Password and I combined it with Heaven on Earth to tell like the entire kind of Eternal Garden story. Because initially like those two songs were like two completely different things, but I found a way to essentially like combine them to create like Eternal Garden as like their child in a sense. And so um, once I had that idea, down and i was like all right well let's make this a thing and i just locked in you know as hard as i could to make it successful so how how did you market it as you were you know mm -hmm. building up a project i think obviously like your other releases and some of these other stories around your releases definitely helped probably people just you know more people were aware of what you were building but why why do you think it was so successful like 700 editions is like a lot for a music NFT release. So what do you think, you know, made it so successful and, how, and what were your strategies pushing the word out? So I, th I think <clears throat> I found ways to kind of be, be innovative and um, impactful with just the moves that I was making. Um, be, even before Eternal Garden, I think a lot of people were looking at me as like, okay, this is one of the top artists in the space, not only just because of my sales, but because of my music, um, my ideology, the way that I talk about the space, the fact that I was willing to teach others, um, showing up as a community member. Like, I think all those things played a role in terms of um, people becoming very familiar with me and becoming fans of me and really comfortable with, uh, you know, my artistry. And so I think that was the first thing. And then when it came time to actually start like rolling Eternal Garden out, I just started talking about it like it already existed. Like I didn't tell anybody like what it was or really give any context at all. It just one day it was like, okay, Eternal Garden, Eternal Garden. That's all I would talk about, right? So started to get people really familiar with um, just Eternal Garden as a concept, the branding and the aesthetic. Like I started, I shot some videos where I was just like, um, you know, it'd be some singing videos or just content where. I was performing, but it was all within the aesthetic of, uh, you know, the Eternal Garden type of vibe. I had my graphic designer create 3D assets of the Eternal Flower, which ended up being the pre-reveal asset. I airdropped it to 50 um, collectors, and I basically had people like sign up for my Lalo RSVP list. I was like, yo, first 50 people that sign up for my Lalo will get a free um, Eternal Garden NFT. I ended up sending that out to 100 people. And that like RSVP list like grew really, really high. And so I had a direct line of communication to reach out to people and keep them informed on like, you know, the process and the fact that Eternal Garden was coming. What is um, Lalo? 
so Lalo is like a uh, it's like a fan communication tool for artists or for really anybody. It's kind of like Superphone or Community, where you can collect uh, an email or a phone number from your fans, and then you can text them or email them, uh, you know, in mass. But it's cool because you can also like it has Web three functionality, so you could say you could require people to like have to give you their wallet, right, to to be on the RSVP list. Um, it has Instagram integrations. It has a lot of really cool stuff. So I started using Lalo to talk directly to my fans. And then, um, yeah, outside of that, I think it was just like a lot of traditional marketing. So uh, like rolling out constant content consistently, talking about the project consistently, um, reaching out to collectors and fans individually using all of the different social media platforms to get the word out about the project, educate people that weren't familiar with Web3 as to why I'm distributing my music in this way, how they could get involved and, um, you know, reaching out to different companies and partners that I really wanted to work with to create experiences before, during and after the minting process so that people felt like they were buying into something that was so much more than just you know, a regular music NFT project. And so I think all of it really created the perfect storm for a successful mint. And I also think that there's something powerful about, you know, that number 700, like those seven songs, seven visuals, seven golden eggs, 700 NFTs. I think people see the number 700 and they're like, well, if this person believes in himself this much, like there's, I gotta, I gotta get behind this, right? And so, I think that worked to my advantage as well, but it, it you know it wasn't just me. It was me and Lottie and a couple other members of my team that just like went really really hard to uh, build this thing out, make it a success. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Congratulations. I mean, uh, definitely the perfect storm for a good release. I think it could be a pretty good case study for people looking to, you know, enter the space in the right way. So yeah, that's awesome. I think. Uh, a release that big I, I haven't really seen any others so that i think i think that's really cool how did you decide on 700 specifically and like the pricing for that release and your other releases like what what was your process for figuring out you know additions and and price yeah so i mean additions um i have a hard time remembering why i chose that number i think like seven is my favorite number First of all, me too. I'm a big seven guy. Yeah. And I think I just kind of counted the, the number of songs that I knew I had ready that I would like to release. And I was like, okay, this sounds good. And then I was like, all right, well, maybe I can just do like a hundred editions of each. It was pretty simple, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so that's how I kind of got the number 700. And, I, you know, I had a whole kind of funding strategy for the project, like, okay, I've had relationships with this number of collectors and, you know, I can probably get a couple platforms to come in to buy some to do giveaways. Um, you know, I had like every kind of layer uh, of funding that I could think of to supplement making sure that the, the project sold out. Um, and then when it came to pricing, at first I was going to do it at point one but this is like in the heat of the bear market right so 
we had to kind of go back to the drawing board a couple times, not even really go back to the drawing board, but like, we were like, okay, it's point one until it isn't, right? So everyone that we talked to, we were like, it's point one, it's point one. And everyone was like, people were committing. They're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll buy 10 of them at point one, right? Or something like that. So we're like, dang, well, like if we can get this, this many like kind of pre-confirmed sales at this number, then, you know, maybe we're in pretty good shape. And so the bear market kind of started to get worse and you know the whole ftx thing was going on and all that so we decided like okay well let's just do a pre-sale at 0.05 and then we'll do a public sale at 0.07 and at least 0.07 can be like consistent with you know the sevens um the whole theme of of the sevens like throughout the whole project and so that's how we kind of came up with the pricing there wasn't like any you know serious mathematics that went into it i think we just try to follow the vibes and we were like okay well let's try to make it a little more affordable even for friends that might try to get it or people that are not in web3 at this point and so i'm just glad it worked out because we sold like 500 of them during the pre-sale and uh 200 were minted during public essentially so um i know when we got to public i was like okay it's 0.07 like what's gonna happen you know but it worked out perfectly so yeah that's cool so have you uh with the collectors that bought these and your other projects have you formed any deeper connections with them like i know people talk a lot in web3 about how you you know artists have this direct line of you know communication and this direct line of engaging and and interacting and transacting with their fans in a way that you can't really do in web3 have you felt that as you've put out nfts and and found new collectors and do you have any like top collectors you have deeper relationships with um definitely i mean i like in in web 2 i definitely can't say besides like friends and people that show up to your shows there's not a lot of opportunity to really like connect with them in that way especially because they don't necessarily have like ownership in like your career or your music or anything like that um in web3 it's been great because part of wanting somebody to support you is like actually caring about them right and wanting to know their story and like their reasoning and their motivation for even supporting your artistry and so i had more conversations with you know individual collectors than i can count at this point and i got to hear so many of their individual stories and um you know that made things really uh special made the connection really special between all of us i started a group chat for all of my collectors recently and uh it's still like it's still starting small as like maybe 60 of us and i have like i have 330 collectors total so there's still so many so many people that have to like get into the chat but it's a great place where we're like just talking about life in general i think i have to add you in there by the way um but yeah sure um, i i'm not a collector yet but no, all right. Well, after this, just send me, <laughs> send me your ETH address and I'll I'll make sure that you have you have one. But um, yeah, I we've been doing that. And one thing that's been really cool is that I, I've been I've been diving into AI a lot recently. And so what I do is like every day at the end, you know, at the end of the at the end of the day, I'll take kind of like the full chat transcript and I put it into the chat GPT and I tell it, hey, tell me a story. <laughs> 
tell me an eternal garden theme story based on this transcript right and it'll it gave me like a full-on like really descriptive story and then i just have it continue the story like every day so you literally can go into the group chat and like all the pinned messages is like essentially a very fantasy fictional ethereal like recap of everything that's been talked about in the chat yeah and, that that is cool yeah it's dope and it like it uses everybody's names and everything so uh -huh. people like really feel like they're a part of the of the journey that makes yeah sense. that's awesome that shit's crazy i saw you so some of the artwork from eternal garden was made with ai also um and that's a cool way to use chat gbt i've definitely messed around with it a lot in the last month or so um what are your thoughts generally on like creative ai and how it's gonna affect uh you know art and, and maybe music more specifically yeah i'd say first and foremost with every major technological advancement that has been made public, uh, there will be people that use it for the forces of good and people that use it for the forces of evil. So we can never be, uh, well, I, I will never be like um, naive to that fact. However, as someone that uses it for the forces of good, I have a very optimistic viewpoint of AI um, processes and, and creative tools. I think that they provide like a very efficient way for you to get your ideas down and um, in front of you, if that makes sense. So like, mm -hmm. you know, our brain works in like two systems, system one, which is um, very fast and un unconscious. And then like system two, which is very tedious and taxing and very like thoughtful. And my goal is to remain in system one as, as much as possible, because that's when you're just creating freely and you're not necessarily like taxing yourself on like how you want to execute something from a very like scientific standpoint. So like one example is like as a producer, right, when I'm making music, when I, the idea comes to me, it comes to me instantly. It's right there. But then I have to go into I have to go back into my brain to mess with the the digital audio workstation and like find the sound that i hear in my head and put it on you know what i'm saying record it and then play the chords and do all of that type of stuff right there was a way that i could streamline my thoughts right and essentially make my thoughts like tangible as quickly as possible then that would be probably like the best i'd be at my best form of creativity if that makes sense and so when i look at ai i'm like well this isn't that yet but it's like an, the next step to getting to that point. So if I see something, right, if I have this idea for something and I have the wherewithal to describe it well enough, I can put it into mid journey. And the more descriptive I am, the more creative I am, the closer uh, result I'll get to what's actually in my head. And at no point will it ever be exactly what I thought, but like, it can be really, 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 really close. And that helps me so much as a creative um, to get my ideas out and without having to like necessarily go through the, the trouble of like trying to find someone that even has that capability and then, you know, having the whole conversation and communicating in that way. So that's one thing. And then um, from another perspective, as an artist, as a professional musician, like there's so much that goes into being an artist 
beyond just making music and putting it out, right? Like you are the CEO of your own company essentially. So that comes with planning and emails and communication and, you know, holding yourself accountable and brainstorming, like it's never ending, right? If I'm, I can always find something for me to do. And so these AI tools like ChatGPT, it's making my workflow so much more efficient because I can prime it essentially with who I am and what I, how I would normally respond to an email or like the things I'm trying to work on or what I'm trying to build. And it can do so much of that legwork for me. And that leaves a lot of brain power and creative real estate on the table for me to build on top of that, if that makes sense. Um, or just to like save for something else so I don't get burnt out. So, um, you know, that's a whole conversation in itself, but why I really just appreciate, at least right now, that um, it really makes my workflow efficient, like across the board. And um, yeah, I mean, bro, even like someone sent me a contract and I ran it through ChatGPT and I said, you know, break down, break down this contract into bullet points using very simple terms. Now, obviously, like you still have to read the contract, right? But if there's certain things that maybe you don't understand, <clears throat> it can break it down for you and make it more digestible. And that I think is like, you can't put a price on that really. And so there's so many different things. We could sit here all day talking about what you can do on that damn thing. But um, I really appreciate how it is helped me streamline, you know, my responsibilities as an artist. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's the right mentality. And like, you know, people, it, it seems it's controversial already, like how it's going to affect workflow and, and, you know, take people's jobs or, or, you know, affect creativity. But I think the way that you just explained it is definitely the right mentality and you just have to learn to work with it. And, and, you know, it can, it can really be used as a great way to increase your creativity. Um, I like what you said about sort of just getting your, getting your ideas down on paper or down on a DAW or like down on, you know, a sketchbook, you can just do it with AI sort of way quicker. Um, I don't remember who I was talking to, but someone was like talking about AI and music creation and they were like, yeah, eventually like you can, you might be able to talk to some AI and tell it things like, give me an 808 kick drum in the style of 90s hip hop. And it could, you know, give you some options, just like, you know, snap of a finger that, uh, you know, would take a lot longer to figure out on your own. And it can help you really streamline your creativity, like you said. Yeah, um, that's, that's what um, that's Water and Music is working on something like that right now. Um, and that's a dream, bro. Like for me, like if if I can say, give me a bass that sounds like the bass line from bad by michael jackson like what like that is insane like i like i would make i already make music really fast but like that would make it even so much more quick you know so um i think we're we're a ways to go from that for you know particularly i think it's going to take a while before it becomes something that's really really usable but with everything else it's it's really cool it feels like we've reached this point of collective consciousness where we've all like created so much and said so many things and 
um, input so much of like our information and our creative talents like into this kind of pool of data, I guess, that now we can all kind of uh, collectively pull from it, you know, in order to create more things. Um, but I don't think like, I, I don't know, it's it's a slippery slope because people are like, all right, yeah, artists or certain type of artists will be replaced. But it's like, when photography was developed, I'm sure there were so many people that were saying, you know, painters will be out of a job, but like, all that did was make painting more valuable. <laughs> yeah, know? right. And the people it, who are more creative are going to be the ones who are better at collaborating with an AI and creating, you know, better and new forms of art, hopefully. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's, and there are people that maybe don't have the actual like dexterity to build things, but do have the the mental genius to be able to, um, you know, do well with it too. Like I look at someone like DJ Khaled, right. Who's given us nothing but hits and all he's ha all he's ever been able to do is like articulate what he wants to artists and to producers to, to put together like the best records. What happens if, if DJ Khaled now has like the tools to be able to do this, like, as quickly as he thinks about them right and then really be able to give it to somebody that can take it to the next level i think that'd be amazing i think the point is like no matter what you know dolly or midjourney or chat gpt or any of these services give you, you there still has to be a human that curates it and makes a decision to actually distribute this to whatever their audience is and the audience regardless of if it's ai or if it's real or whatever the hell the audience is still going to make the, their decision on whether it's good or not. And so um, I think that's where the human component is always going to going to play a factor. And, you know, these things are going to continue to build. I mean, this is the ev evolution of humanity and maybe we will evolve past doing any of these activities and we'll focus on like harnessing the sun's energy. I don't know. But <laughs> the point is, like, this is where we're at now. And I feel like we should embrace it and use it for. Our, our our advancement as opposed to like uh being scared of it so yeah couldn't agree more um i was listening to an interesting podcast the other day with uh a futurist named ray kurzweil and he was talking about uh the industrial revolution and how like when factories were like being developed for the first time everyone thought that like all these people would be out of a job forever and they didn't know how they were going to like fill these like holes in the economy for the workforce and that it was going to sort of ruin things. But, you know, what ended up happening is basically the exact reverse and like more jobs were created and more things were produced and it just enhanced people's ability to create and build. And, uh, you know, I think with this type of AI technology, it's going to be a similar uh similar case where it's just going to give people more time to spend on you know creative work or other things that can't necessarily be automated by a model for sure and not to go like to go too long on this subject but like you know the efficiency that's provided me at this point it's like i just look at that as this is more time that i get to spend with my family right and like it's interesting because we we always look at technology taking jobs away from people and things of that nature but then also saying how like technology takes us away from being one with the earth right or being in the moment and being present 
And there's almost like this kind of light at the end of the tunnel where when technology becomes advanced enough to where we no longer need to manually uh, complete so many of these processes, I think we will actually start to see more people being present and more people like being out in nature and more people not having to essentially be slaves to society because, you know, I don't know, maybe it's not so crazy that a robot is flipping my burger because, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, if the person that would normally be flipping that burger now has the means or a reason to do what they really love doing or, you know, to focus more on like a, a more holistic side of life, I think there's a lot of beauty in that too. I'm not saying it's going to be that utopian, but like, is there is one way to look at how technology can actually like positively impact humanity as a whole. So yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I and I love thinking about that kind of stuff. It's really interesting to because like in in our lifetimes, like things are going to change so much. Like you think about uh you know th three or four generations ago, life was more or less pretty similar when you were born and when you died from like let's say 1900 to 1980, like yeah. the internet wasn't really a thing yet. But, you know, 2000 to 2080, it's going to be a completely different world that we live in. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's fucking crazy and a little bit scary, but I think also like really, really interesting. And um, uh, we'll just be kind of wild to sort of live through this time period where things are progressing so fast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, I got a few more questions as we're sort of wrapping up and going over time here. Um, one that I really wanted to get to was, uh, when did you make the top, the jump to going full-time into music? Um, and what do you think the keys were from, you know, I feel like most artists at some point are, you know, doing it as a hobby or doing it as like their real passion, but have to make money other ways. And then eventually I think can help someone's career a lot when they are full-time in music and working on their craft more. And, and hopefully that's how they are uh, producing most of their income. So I was curious how you made that jump. Um, and what Yeah. So there. the funny part about this is that I've been full-time music my whole life. So um, basically right out of high school, I started working at a recording studio. So like, I, you know, my, my, throughout my early childhood and like middle school, high school days, I was like in and out of homelessness. Um, and so when I graduated high school, I had nothing. I like couldn't afford school, nowhere to stay, no anything. And I started working at a recording studio in my, in my hometown. And um, the guy that ran the studio, he ended up like started to starting to manage me as an artist. And then I was living at the studio at the same time. So literally every single day for me was music. There wasn't really anything else. And it only ever continued to progress um, into me becoming more of a music professional and uh, focusing more and more time into just my craft. Obviously like that's expanded, right? So it's not like I was just, I'm just playing guitar for a living. Like I'm producing for artists, I'm engineering for artists, I'm songwriting, I'm helping artists with their, you know, ideation, their music videos, their marketing, things like that. Um, so I've worn like every single hat when it comes to like music industry and I found ways to make money 
in every capacity, but like in terms of like my profession, like, yeah, my profession has always been a musician and what are the different revenue streams that I can bring in through being a musician. And so it's, it's interesting because like that most people that, you know, a lot, I'm not going to say most people, but a lot of people maybe that would have went through what I went through would have been like, nah, fuck this. Like I need to go get a job and like get some type of stable income. But like, I've literally lived on the edge my entire life. <laughs> and like, you know, there's never been a time. Well, you know, even now, I mean, even now, cause I'm still in a full-time artist and even in web three, it's not like web three. I know I'm making a certain amount of, of money like every week. Right. But the point is like, I've always had to get up and set my own expectations and set my own goals and put the battery in my own back to, you know, be dedicated and disciplined enough to like continue to follow my dreams, which is not easy. Cause it's like, you know, it's easier to sit, to wake up and be like, yo, all right, I have to be at school at 7 a.m. and I leave at two or I have to be at work at nine and I leave at five. It's a lot harder to like find that motivation when no one's telling you that you need to do anything. And yeah. A hundred percent. I, I, I sort of deal with that now and like having different sort of part-time projects that I work on where, um, you know, I can get out as much as I want to put in and it's sort of on me to, you know, motivate myself to actually set some independent goals and work towards them. And, um, I'm curious how you you know, how do you create that structure in your own, in your own life? Like what, and what keeps you motivated? Yeah. I mean, the, the, this is the good, well, so I'll say this, like, first of all, I make really good music and it's always been really impactful to people. And so constantly getting that positive feedback and that positive reinforcement is what helps me keep going and know that I'm, you know, moving in the right direction. I think also just by nature, I'm a very like driven and like dedicated person. So um, like, I want to succeed, like, it's just kind of built within me. So I'm going to wake up like not every single day, but most days I'm like, all right, I got to grind. Right. And then also the longer you're doing it and the deeper you get into it, it's almost like the higher the stakes become. So it's like, because I've spent, I've literally spent my entire life, you know, pushing towards these goals. It's like, how am I going to stop now? You know what I mean? Like after everything that I've been through, after everything that I've sacrificed, after everything that so many other people have sacrificed on my behalf, right? Or like the ways that they've helped me, it's like I have a duty to myself, but then also to those people to make sure that I succeed in some way, shape or form. And so that's what I think where the motivation and the drive comes from. But then from like an organization standpoint, I mean, that's a nightmare. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's no like blueprint for being an independent artist, right? I don't even think there's a blueprint for being a signed artist. There's no blueprint for being an artist at all. So you're, you essentially create your own um, plan of action. You create your own formula or curriculum that really only works for you, but you don't know it works unless you, you know, maybe yeah, trial and error is what I'm looking for. So yeah, there's that, right? But then now these days, like I've been fortunate enough because of the work that I've put in to build a team that helps me keep my life in order and schedule things and approach tasks in a way uh, that is efficient and is fruitful. 
And, um, you know, it's not perfect. We're still like trying to refine it every day. And it still requires me to show up and to follow up and execute and, um, you know, not sell myself or anybody else short. So still a lot of hard work, but we're figuring it out. And thankfully, not to go back to AI, but AI is also helping a lot with uh, with this type of organizational stuff as well. So, um, yeah, man, it's hard. It's it's hard work. It's like I'm I'm a full time entrepreneur as an artist, but it's fun. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, fuck yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, what 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 advice would you give to uh, other artists who are looking to be in music full time? First thing that comes to mind is get comfortable with being uncomfortable because you get what you put in, right? So if you only show up halfway, you're gonna get half results. Um, there's nothing wrong with hedging your bet, I guess, and or doing things that are gonna keep you stable for a certain amount of time. If you got to work a job, if you got to get that money, like that's what you have to, you know, if that's, you got to do what you got to do, right? Because we all have our responsibilities uh, that we have to uphold. But at some point, you've got to go all in and you've got to say, like, okay, I've got to give this my full undivided attention and I have to go as hard as at this as I possibly can because there are hundreds and thousands, if not millions, of other people that want the same things that I want and they're willing to put it all on the line uh, for success. And so when you do that, you understand that you're leaving stability behind, you're leaving a lot of relationships behind, you're leaving um, the way a lot of people look at you behind, like you're leaving money on the table. Like there's, there's so many things that you have to sacrifice in order to not even just like as a musician, just to be like a full-time entrepreneur that you know, wakes up and makes his or her, her own decisions. And so as long as you're comfortable with being uncomfortable, then the lows won't be as low, but the highs will be as high as they've ever been. Um, and so that's, I think that's the advice that I would give to somebody that really wants to like dive in full time and uh, leverage everything. Like, Every single person that you have in your phone, like reach out to them and, and find out not only how they can help you, but how you can help them and how you can forge better relationships because all of those things eventually will come back to serve you or haunt you in one way or another. And so, um, yeah, I hope that helps somebody. I don't know if that's good advice, but that's definitely what, uh, what I would say for now. I think it's great advice. I think it, I think it will hope, well, you know, hopefully this gets out to enough people where it helps someone, but sure. <laughs> I think it's a good message. Um, all right. Last question before we wrap up here, who who are you listening to a lot right now? What artists do you like? Who's inspiring you? Oh, uh, you know, it's crazy. It's like anytime that it comes to questions about music, like I always forget, like I'll like in the moment I'll be like, Oh man, why don't I, why don't I ever talk about this person? Like I love yeah. this. But right now, bro, like I listen to a lot of Afrobeats because <clears throat> I don't I don't really listen to music much because I spend 99% of my life making music. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, you know, Afrobeats and I'm a piano music has like really been taking off over the last couple of years. And I mean, it's always been popular and I've always been familiar just being Nigerian, but um, I'm really in love with a lot of the artists that like the way they're approaching making their music because all of these songs like have these really sweet pop melodies, but they have like so much culture and ethnicity in the production. So, um, you know, Lo J and Sars, Mona Lisa, that's like my favorite song right now. Um, but, you know, WizKid, Burner Boy, like those artists I think are, you know, top of the top, Buju. Like really, uh, Ira Star, like Rema, who else? Who else? I think of Fireboy. There's so many incredible Afrobeats artists that I love that I got a shout out. And then, um, man, the list goes on and on and on in terms of like people that I listen to in pop and in hip hop and all these other genres, but that's my answer for now. That's my answer for that's now. That's great. So. That's great. I wrote down quite a few names to look into, so I'm looking forward to it. That's um, all right, man. Well, that was a, that was a great conversation. I, I think I had, I could, you know, ask you questions for hours, but uh, I'm yeah, going to call, I'm going to call it here and, and we'll have to do this again sometime. Cause uh, this was great. I mean, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. No, for sure. Thank you for having me and, um, you know, giving me the opportunity to share my story for sure. And you had some incredible questions that I was definitely happy to answer. So I'm excited for, um, you know, your other episodes, too. And like the development of this podcast is great. All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Have a good one. Sir, you too. All right. See ya. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check the links in the show notes to find and support TK and Campfire. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Web3MusicPod to keep up with new episodes and find clips from each interview. Until next episode, this is the Web3 Music Podcast.